the current variant is causing lots of chaos around our country and around the world. Seems to be attacking kids more than the first round. Recently, Florida had more hospitalizations than ever. And we look at right now, there is a, a hurricane hitting the southern coast of the United States, and Louisiana is about to take the brunt of all that. It's supposed to make landfall right now on the anniversary of Katrina 16 years ago. You think about our troops in Afghanistan who are working to get people into a, a safe zone. And as they do that humanitarian work, as they try to, to get folks where they need to be in order to live life, there's a walking bomb that explodes and kills several people, wounding many others, and lives will be changed forever. Last week, there was a, a small town in Tennessee who experienced 17 inches of rain in only 24 hours, and a tidal wave of water hit their town, killing many in their town. We, we look at the worldwide church, and, and frankly, we live in a bubble, and we're fairly protected, but across the world, there are people today who are being killed because they believe in Jesus Christ. And we look at the chaos that is around our world, and even so, church, we know that the church will remain strong because God is in control. Our God is an awesome God, and He will never leave us, never walk away from us, and never leave us without His guidance and wisdom. We're going to begin a brand new series uh, today out of the book of Job. So if you've got your Bibles with you, turn to Job chapter 1. We'll start there and move to other sections of Job uh, throughout our message this morning. But Job chapter 1 is where we will begin. Because what we discover is that chaos extreme is what happens in Job's life. And at the end of his story, he has faith in an almighty God. And our prayer, my prayer, is that we too... Despite what Satan is whispering in your ear, despite what you're seeing on the nightly news, despite what you're experiencing in your own family, that we too would see that we serve a mighty and majestic God and that he hasn't left you by any stretch. But even so, our human side comes in at times and we begin, begin to ask questions. Is God in control? Does he really care? Does he see me in my story? Because sometimes in life, while we may believe in a powerful God, it may seem like to you that He's far away, that He's not close, that He may not be in control. And I know over the last 18 months, you and I have experienced something that no one living has ever experienced before. And so we're working through what that feels and what that means for each and every one of us. When we ask if God's in control, it is a sincere question. We want to believe, but we feel distant at times. The book of Job is in our Old Testament right before the Psalms. It's part of that poetry literature that exists in our Old Testament. Job's story is, is really phenomenal. Chapter 1 paints this picture of Job living the American dream. He really is. He's from the area of Uz, which many scholars believe is in the southeastern quadrant of uh, Israel, in that neck of the woods, uh, the old Aram uh, country, if you will, just a hop, skip, and a jump over from Egypt. But uh, Job is living the dream. 
He owns lots of land. He has thousands upon thousands of flocks and animals and businesses booming for him. He's got his health. He's got a large family, a loving wife, 10 kids, and life is good for Job. He is a worshiper of God. That's clear up front. He believes in the living God just like you and I. And God continues to bless him in his life. And so one particular day, he gets out of bed. Someone's in his room to open the drapes. He goes down. Someone's cooking breakfast uh, who is a servant for the house and uh, serving up the eggs and, and bacon. He's reading the clay tablet of the daily news at the kitchen table. And, and life begins. It's a normal day for Job. Business as usual. The sun is out. Things are looking uh, again, good. God is blessing him. And so he steps outside to greet the morning day and discover, what is it that we need to do today? Where is my, my day going to take me? When suddenly a, a servant runs up to him and says, Job, I want you to know that the Sabaeans have come out of the desert. They've taken about a third of your flock and they've killed all of the farmhands. A third of what you own is now, now gone. And Job is reeling. He's beginning to think, I need to muster all the guys. We're going to go after what belongs to me. When suddenly in the middle of that story, yet another servant comes up and says, Job, you should know that all of your flocks of sheep, that fire came down from heaven and consumed all of them and killed all of your shepherds. I'm the only one to escape and let you know about what's happened today. And Job is reeling all of a sudden, two-thirds of my property gone when in the middle of that story, yet another servant runs up and says, Job, you should know the Chaldeans have come out of the south. They've attacked your farmhands, and they've taken what's left of all of your livestock. Oh, wow. Where do we begin? Where do we go? Who do I need to get together? Which direction should I go first? And just outside his home, as he's standing with those three servants, he's thinking to himself, I'm not sure how things could get much worse when a fourth servant runs up and says, Job, you should know that last night all ten of your kids were gathered at the oldest child's house and they were celebrating at a dinner party when a strong wind came out of the desert, knocked the house down, and all of your kids are dead. And Job feels the strength leave his knees and he he drops down on the bench that's in front of his house. Catastrophic. What do I do? God, where are you in this chaos, in this mess? How do I move through what is happening around me? He's thinking, everything started just like it normally does this morning, but by the end of the day, it's an absolute train wreck. And Job has something to say concerning this, something to do concerning this. At the very end of chapter 1, Job chapter 1, verse 20, it says, Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head, and he fell to the ground to worship. And he said, the Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. As in ancient times, if someone wanted to express grief and heartfelt sorrow, they would tear their clothing so visually those around them would see they're in the state of mourning. Job also shaves his head and he sits down in dust and ash, but in that moment he also falls forward on his face to worship the living God. 
Even in his heartache and the chaos and the unknown, he still is worshiping God Almighty. But things don't really get any better. By chapter 2, Satan steps in yet again and afflicts him with a sickness. The text says, from the bottoms of his feet to the top of his head, there were sores all throughout his body. And the only way that he could really get any relief was to scrape them with shards of pottery. Job has lost everything. One day he is flying high. And the next day, he has nothing. And he's trying to work through, how do I, how do I muster out of this? What is the next move that I, I need to do? And finally, his, his close friends come. He's got three close friends that travel in, and initially, they just sit with him in the silence, sit with him in the quiet. And for us as human beings, that is so difficult to do because if you're like me, I'm a fixer. And there's something to say, something to be done, but they just sit there in the silence with Job, mourning with him, until finally they speak up and they say, what have you done to make God do this to you? They're pointing fingers at Job that he must have sin in his life, he must be doing something wrong. And even his wife pipes up and says, You know, it's clear that God has left you, so why don't you just curse God and die? It's time to move on. Now, one of the interesting things about this story is that all through the story, Job Job never loses his faith. He never walks away from God, although he has lots of questions to ask God. God, in the midst of this crisis, are you really there? God, have you left me all alone? Are you still in control? Do you see me? Do you see what's up in my life? Have you walked away from me and left me to go it alone? And are the same types of questions that you and I are asking of God today in our own crisis as we interact with those around us, as we watch the evening news and see the difficult things that are going on around the world? In 1977, NASA launched Voyager 1. How many of you remember the launching of Voyager 1? Yes, many more hands in first service than this one. Uh, I was nine years old in uh, 1977, living in Africa, so I don't remember it either. But NASA launched this unmanned spacecraft to take pictures of our solar system, and it's still to this day in interstellar space. It's moving out into other areas of the universe. And it would take pictures of all the planets in our system as they traveled by moons, and they would send those back to NASA. And they had programmed it so once it got to the edge of our solar system that it would take a family photo. And this is what they thought. It would turn and would take a picture of all the planets in our particular solar system. And so when it was four billion miles away from Earth, Voyager took this picture and sent it back. And that little speck is Earth. This picture is known as the pale blue dot. And that's you and me. That's everybody that's ever come before us and everyone who will ever come after us. That's life right now going on on that little speck. And it's interesting to think if, if we are a speck on a smaller speck in a grand universe, I mean, do you think God is really concerned about 
if you can't make the mortgage payment? Do, do you think God is really concerned that, that your marriage is falling apart? Do, do you think that God is, is concerned that your, your child has a learning disability that you can't even pronounce? Do you think that God's even concerned with the loneliness that you've been experiencing these last 18 months because you've been on lockdown in your particular apartment or house? Does God care or are we alone? And my guess is, like me, you have discovered over these last 18 months that we are more vulnerable and fragile than we ever cared to admit. You and I serve an incredible God who has not walked away from us. Church, we serve an amazing God, even in our vulnerableness, even in our fragile state. And Job is asking questions, but it's, it's more than just for him. It's for us too. He's asking those questions. God, do you care? Do, do you care that I'm in the second row? round of fighting this cancer that's in my body. God, do you care that, that I've discovered my unemployment and I can't put food on the table for my kids? God, do you care that I'm living currently in isolation, longing for human contact that just isn't occurring? God, do you care about the racial tension that exists in my workplace, in my neighborhood? God, do you care about the child abuse that I experienced as a, a young boy or a young girl? God, do you care about the rejection that I feel when I walk into the church? God, do you care at all that this pandemic is overwhelming us? And so at the end of Job's questions, God has had enough. And so God replies not with answers but with his own questions, and it gives us perspective on how big our God truly is. Turn to chapter 38 of Job, because the questions begin in verse 2 when God says, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself, because I have questions of my own, and you will answer them. And so this morning, I wanted to read just a few verses that won't be up on the screen, just so that we could hear the voice of God coming through the chaos for us. And beginning in verse 4, he says, Where were you when, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations? And who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who, who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no further will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? 
As the light approaches, the earth takes shape like clay pressed beneath a seal. It is robed in brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that is raised in violence. Have you explored the springs from which the seas come? Have you explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me if you know. And in that brief reading, we gain a little insight to the power and magnificence of our God. Here's what becomes clear, is that God is the God of a universe who knows all and controls all. All details of our universe and our world reveal that that God is not indifferent and He's not apathetic, but in fact reveal a God who is very involved and very much in control. Now, for our purposes this morning, I found a picture of a control room, and we're going to say this is a control room in heaven. Now, I want to go on record. This is not heaven. This is not a control room in heaven. Put the disclaimer out there. But just to visually give us all the dials and levers and gauges that need to be in place so that life exists here on earth. Everything has to be exactly right for you and I to live. And you're invited into the room, but you dare not trip because if you touch one dial and it's off just a little bit, a chain of unfortunate events will occur. Scientists have conservatively said the odds of all of these dials being set right by chance are one part in 100 billion, billion, billion. That's 10 with 53 zeros after it. The chances of everything being just right by chance is this number on the screen. And scientists try to kind of create this visual for us to get a a grasp of what this actually looks like. So for a minute... Pretend that there's a bullseye on the earth, and the bullseye is one trillionth of one trillionth of an inch in diameter, which means it's the size of an atom, and you're given a dart, and you throw the dart. The chances of you hitting the bullseye on earth are greater than everything being exactly like it should be for us to have life on earth. Amazing. Sometimes it's called the teleological argument for God's existence. And I could use any number of examples, but the one I chose this morning was because of our vacation this past summer. Robin and I went to Yellowstone National Park, and we had a great time there, first time we'd ever been. And we had planned on later in the week driving up to Mount Rushmore. Um, But we had transportation issues, and so we didn't get to do that. However, right after I graduated high school, uh, my family, we went to see Mount Rushmore. But, but you and I would, would know right away something was, was not by chance, right? I mean, you go to Mount Rushmore, let's pretend for a moment, all the buildings are gone, all the roads are gone, you're trekking through the woods, and you come out, and there's Mount Rushmore, and you go, wow, look at that. That looks like four human faces. They look even like presidents of our country. Well, we know that didn't happen by chance, Somebody did that. There is a creator behind Mount Rushmore. And what all of Scripture tells us is that the world and our galaxy screams, church, there is a creator who is in control. And he is bigger than any one of us 
could ever possibly fathom. So let's go back to the control room for a minute. Five dials. There's, there are hundreds in there, but I'm going to pick five just to take a look at quickly. Dial number one is the location of the earth in our solar system. If we were 5% closer to the sun, the temperature on earth would be about 900 degrees, which means we would all burn up. And I know you're thinking we live in Texas. Maybe that's true. <laughs> Maybe. If we were 10% further away from the sun, everything would freeze. Dial number two is gravity. If that dial is slightly off, then we would stop existing on earth. The moon's gravitational pull as it's set in rotation around the earth, if it was only one-fifth closer to earth twice a day, every coastal region on our planet would have massive tidal waves twice a day. Dial number three, the crust of the earth. If it was any thinner or it was any thicker, it would throw off the magnetic field which protects our planet. That magnetic field helps supply our water, keeps it in place. It also deflects the solar waves that come from the sun, protecting our atmosphere. Dial number four brings us to our atmosphere. The protective blanket around the earth is made up of nitrogen, oxygen, and carbon dioxide. And it's interesting how just the right amount of all of those gases exist so that we can breathe each and every day. If any one of those gases were just a little bit off, we would either have one or the other. We would either have an incredible greenhouse effect on our earth or we would be bombarded by cosmic radiation. Dial number five, the rotation of our planet. Right now, we're rotating at 1,000 miles an hour. And around the sun, we're traveling at 70,000 miles an hour. If that, if that rotation increases just a little bit, we would see everywhere on our planet increased earthquakes, increased tsunamis, and increased hurricanes. And remember, in that control room, there are more dials than you and I can count if we're using that as our illustration. By chance, one of those dials being set correctly is one in 10 million. And using the lottery as an example, we would say, well, not impossible. Somebody's going to win the lottery this, this year. won't be me, but somebody will. And say somebody wins the lottery two times in a row. We might say, wow, they're pretty lucky. Good for them. Or not. Let's say they win the lottery every day for a week. You and I would then say, wait a minute, something is wrong here. Something is really up. But what if they won 200 times in a row? We would start to wonder if there's any luck or chance to that at all. And as we look at our planet and our universe and all that God has created, we can look around us and know, church, that there is a God. It is not by chance. We serve this incredible God. The doctor of rocket science, Werner von Braun, who came to us from Germany right after uh, World War II, he says this, as I began, ex became exposed to the law and order of the universe and its perfect unity, I became convinced there must be a divine intent behind it all. My experience with science led me to God. Must we light a candle to see the sun? King David also knew that we served an incredible God, the creator of our universe. 
And he says in Psalm chapter 19, verse 1, beginning, he says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God, the skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak, night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word, their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world." Our creation around us, the very people we are, screams that we have an incredible creator who loves us, who's involved with us, who controls all things. And David reminds us if we would just simply slow down and in the evening walk outside and look up, God is shouting a message to you that he has not left us to walk alone. He's powerful and in control. Even though Satan whispers in your ear and my ear every single day, it's time for panic. It's time for anxiety. It's time for the meltdown. We probably have had the same issue that Job had. It's not that we don't believe that God is in control, but maybe we just don't like the way he's controlling things. And here's the takeaway this morning. Church, we worship a God who is so much bigger than us. And it's our call in our faith to put our trust and faith in that God. He knows and sees what we don't. And there's something comforting worshiping a God that big. Because if I can figure God out, then He's just not big enough for me. My prayer is that we'll realize we are not in control. He is. At the very end of Job, I love Job's sentiment. In chapter 42 and verse 5, he says, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. He went from hearing about God to seeing God. He went from knowing about God to knowing God. And he, like us, are learning that we serve a mighty and powerful God who controls all things. And maybe you've experienced loss in your life right now. And maybe you're experiencing that anxiety, that panic, and you're you're watching and seeing what all is going on, and you have questions yourself. And I want you to know this morning that we have a God who welcomes questions. But we also have a God who wants you to know that He reigns supreme. He's in control. He's all things to all of us. He wants to give you an incredible life in His Son, Jesus Christ. And you can have that life if you say yes to His Lordship. And so this morning here in a moment when we sing a song and we're going to lift His name up in praise, the call is this morning is that you and I, like Job, would fall on our knees and worship that mighty God and recognize that He is in control. I'm not. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to have faith in the story that you have lined out for me. And no matter what is going on around our world, no matter the whispers I get from Satan, I'm going to trust in that mighty God. And in just a moment when we sing, our shepherds and their wives are going to be gathered along the wall of this room. And my guess is in a crowd this size, we've got folks in here who are struggling. We've got folks who have uh, some, some questions in your own life. And I want to encourage you to go find one of those couples and let them pray for you and over you. Let them remind you that you're not in this thing alone, that we're in it as a family, but God is with you as well. So this morning, let's stand as the family of God.
and worship his holy name.